Welcome to Fourth Times the Charm, where niche is neat. I am your producer, Ben, alongside your director, Matt. And we are having a hum-ding-ringer of a week, aren't we, Matt? Yeah, I, I went from a week of constant, like, lack of relaxing fully into like a couple days of like relaxation into a three day 12 plus hour jujitsu training weekend at an at a military academy and now i smell like fucking old nachos i am in like you could place my brain into a liminal space and it would fill it and then empty instantly we uh we spent the weekend we went on uh we woke up at 4 a.m to go look at the planetary alignment where all of the visible planets yep. in the solar system are lined up in a straight line. Did uh, you have any viewing material like a telescope? Or yeah, yeah, a, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I got I got Rebecca this fancy telescope for uh, for her birthday or Christmas or so, something. I'm so I am I am a jelly belly. I've yeah, been asking it's, for a telescope for like four years. So it, it's interesting. The telescope is nice. It's useful. But my favorite thing to look at with it is just the moon. Mm-hmm. Because there's so much I, detail. Yeah. Because the other planets, like, you know, we were looking at um, Jupiter. And you can actually make out with the telescope the different, like, variations in color on Jupiter. Slightly. Oh, cool. But the like fact that you can up. at all... It's pretty that's dope. Cool. Like you that's, can. That's, that's yeah, incredible. You can make out the rings of Saturn on Saturn. That's metal as fuck. Yeah. What is, but, what's the color like? Um. Like like is like is it just like shades of gray from that distance, or can you actually see like what the visual color would look like? You get like you, you get an idea of the color. It's not one to one, but like you yeah. know. Saturn is more brown than others are, you know, that, that, that sure. kind of deal. Um, but yeah, the moon's the best one. Cause the moon is like an HD. Those other ones, you know, you can't focus on them exactly. Cause they're like, they're, they're forever away, but they're forever away. Your wife is a fucking astronaut. Not yet, but we're working towards it. You just, I'm, refer I'm the merch to- side. <laughs> I'm so upset. I'm like, I am a casual fan. Like, I'm like, I love space and I love science. And you just, oh my, I am like, I'm upset. I'm looking at raw photos of, of Jupiter right now in anger at you. Anyway, Fuck the, you. Uh, the moon's the coolest one to look at. Because it's not Be- real far away. <laughs> yeah, because it's not quite forever away, depending on your method of transit. Uh, but I mean, like, you see depth on the moon with the telescope. Yeah. It's it's really amazing. Do you want a fun moon fact for the day? Yeah. Uh, we recently uh, observed two separate uh, missile impacts on the moon. Really? Yeah. We don't know where they're from. And it's it, the U.S. has crash-landed uh, used rockets, like in boosters, from, from missions to the moon onto the moon as a way of like just like dealing with it not having Asserting a floating out there yeah yeah telling the moon to go fuck itself and trying to make the aliens inside quake uh 
but recently there were two there were two separate impacts back to back in like the same area we have no idea where they came from so matt at least we we don't in u.s sources matt have we had the conversation about if there was external life like if like like how we would want to be introduced to it because i am firmly Mm. of the belief that if intelligent life finds us both like in the state we are in, we will absolutely be enslaved, like immediately. Well, yeah, you know, or because we'll, and, and it'll be either because that's why they're here, or because we shoot a nuke at them. No, I don't think we're gonna shoot a nuke at them. I don't think that would matter. It's, I, I was, uh, I was thinking, you know, Star Trek hat, right? And Star Trek, the intelligent beings don't introduce themselves to any races until they uh yeah they reach uh, until drive. until they discover warp drive because that's as, like as as a, as our fans will know that is the uh a common theme the prime directive is what it's called um, whatever anyway so like i Spaceballs it's it's a very star trek it's a very interesting idea and it makes a lot of sense yeah. because oh, does, you yeah. know if you put a technological idea out there that needs the work of the whole planet together to get working. Yeah. There's uh and yeah. If you come visit a planet with extraterrestrial advanced technology and everyone well, fucking tech- hates <laughs> each other, oh, you're yeah. just going to enslave us. You wouldn't talk to us otherwise unless you wanted to enslave us. Well, Ben, that's why they already enslaved us because we were manufactured by Palladians to mine gold on the planet and the heavy metals on the planet were why it was seeded with life. So that they could be extracted more easily without having to send multiple fleets of workers here to extract it. That's man, a that's, legitimate theory that people have. No, that's a, a theory. Shit. That's not a legitimate theory. That is a theory that people yes, that have, is, but that, that is, theory, is not a legitimate a theory. theory. Yeah, that's a and that that and somehow that corresponds to the Hollow Earth theory. And that they're hiding down there in cavities. They had ancient humans mine out. And then they wiped out that society because it got too advanced. And they were threatened by the ingenuity of humans. So that when we reemerged in the post-Atlantis time, uh, they intentionally infested our culture with um, discord and, and strife and greed to prevent us from rising up into the mega race and intergalactic uh, threat that we would have been which is also why humans have lost access to their ability to use magic do, do you remember the time when conspiracy theories were fun yeah it, yeah kind of i remember i remember when ancient aliens was ironically funny right and now and now like when i watch and i'm like shit this is real mm-hmm. and i watched enough ancient aliens that when i listen to people like joking about it now i'm like or like talking about palladians harvesting i'm like you just watched this show when you were seven and you took that shit seriously Yep. it's it's also very funny how informed either the narrative of the uh ancient humanity like um ancient aliens people are by assassin's creed or how much assassin's creed is inspired directly by 
um, a, um, early alien conspiracy, uh, uh, ancient alien conspiracy, because the narrative in both line up. And every time I play an Assassin's Creed game, I'm like, this is the exact same shit that like George Nori is yelling about on coast to coast. Mm-hmm. It's wild. And it's, it's verbatim in the game. Like I've read shit online in forums that I swear might've been a copy pasta from scenes inside of, uh, the Assassin's Creed franchise. You know what else makes for good copy pastas, Matt? Our biggest fan, Brennan. Biggest coming fan, in Brennan. Hot. So coming I've noticed that when we put the passcode later on in the episodes, no one calls them out. No, 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 fucking Brennan does. He did once. No, he'll do it. He'll get it. He even okay. said he he even noted correctly that there was no um, passcode in our last episode, which is true. There was no passcode, so he listened to the whole thing because he's looking for it. And uh, Ben, he also had a contribution to the cube discussion we had a few weeks ago. Oh, really? Yeah, he says he said my contribution to the movie. Uh, the group of cube hunters led by the blogger who was trying to reveal the truth about the about cube. I believe their name was Singh or Cyan. He, I don't know what he spelled. I, I think uh, he's combining he, our two together. Yeah. I, he's, ha- he's, I had a Singh. Okay. He said uh, the blogger who was trying to reveal the truth about the cube should be called QAnon or Cube Anon. He's the Cube Anon. <laughs> which is fucking awesome. I I'm yeah, a, yeah I'm says, reluctantly a fan of that. He he said Ben's idea is better. LOL, JK, actually Matt's idea is really good too. <laughs> Which I think is him just saying he liked your idea more. But added it, in the but JK, it was very nice. It was Yeah, cuz the yeah. cuz the Matt's idea is really good too. Right. Is the key. Is the key. So Brennan, I fucking see you. You can't avoid me forever. I'm going to fucking get a ha- my hands on you one day. Uh well we we already admitted that your idea would come after mine. So, yeah, the fucking sequel, the Ben's movie. Right. So, so like it you. doesn't it doesn't matter if yours is good or bad, Matt, because it's gonna be the last one either way. Yeah, but it's gonna yeah. make more money, so that's what matters. Um, we're gonna have better I, special features on my DVD. Last thing before we start our show for the day, uh, you mentioned last week, Matt, that a band that was almost in your top five. And you liked a bit more than my number one, Kavain, was Midnight Sorcery. Yes. And I so did. I listened to their is it an album or is it an EP? It's technically an album. I, I, I think it's, it's listed like, in Spotify as an EP and it's twenty four minutes long, but it's an album on fucking uh on Metal Archives, so that's what matters. So it's the album slash EP is Piercing Through the Frozen Eternity by Midnight Sorcery. I really liked the album, but I didn't like it as much as I wanted to. Mm. It's it's weird. Normally, I like like really heavy, intricate, cacophonous noise metal like this. But I, the opening... Uh, there's, there's like these small motifs strewn in through the songs okay. where they start adding in like electronica a bit yeah yeah it's really cool it's and really I, refreshing i i agree i really like that but 
they only do it like once every second or third song and it's yeah. not done enough to where i feel like it's really part of the through line oh sure yeah i see that like because uh it's not it's, it's not the, a gone mage level of commitment the the first song Unt, uh Unt kutoja yeah that one like the intro was really great and then they hit the main bit of the song and i was caught completely off guard because i was like this is not what i feel like they were setting up and that's sort of how the rest of the album feels to me is where it's a really good album but i feel like they're setting up for a lighter sound and then they just jump over it and i i yeah, feel i feel I think like that's kind of part of the point i feel like there's an a and a c but i don't see how they tie together at all i i i think it's if i think this is the same reason why you'd like Kavane a lot more than i do it, and it's like it's a matter of like reps like the amount of black metal like this and like Kavane I've listened to has like I wouldn't say like I wouldn't, I wouldn't say informed my uh, opinion because that sounds a little too pretentious but it's it's Us pretentious it. not at all we're not pretentious we're niche and we're nice um but this album and Moonlight Sorcery those like little bits and that transition from like the lovingly soft to the immediately fucking intense um was a highlight for me and but it kept like, it kept the experience very interesting and rela- and like nice compared to Cavane where it was just like they just kept doing stuff and like yeah I love that album and yeah all that stuff's really cool but it's like this felt more focused but see I know despite I, like, how much that disagrees with your sentiment but but see I I get that but at the same time it's in and god for the life of me I can't remember what um what band it is i mean it's a lot of bands but i feel like there's a lot of bands where you hit a wall of noise and it just like overwhelms you and comes over you i didn't get that with this i feel like it was at like a i the 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 intro of the song feels like it's already at like a four instead of maybe a two and then yeah, when it jumps it, up to an eight, I'm like, okay, we rose up, but I don't feel the, the, uh, the, I don't feel the difference as much. Hmm. See, to me, this, this album wasn't supposed to be a wall of noise album. Sure. The, the elements of it that are really refreshing and really good to me are those clean, like focused instrumental moments where there's almost like a power metal esque, like piano playing, like the solo um, in the second song for "Thy Light Is Ice," that comes like in the last third, where the dude just goes fucking wild on the guitar. That is such a breath of fresh air and such like an engaging moment for me mm. that it it really captured me. Where Kavain. Um, as an example, just kind of did their thing the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, where if you if you look if you go back to our 2021 episode of the our end of year roundup, um, obviously we have an album like like Gone Mage, which is doing something completely its own, right? It's wholly unique and it's very intense for that. Um, but then. We have an album uh, like Ungfell's album, uh, Estgrut, 
which is a which is medieval black metal. It is a known and tried and true sound. We have two different medieval black metal albums on this year's already on this year's mid-year roundup. And what made them interesting, what made the album so good was that instead of hitting a bunch of influences from um, the genre and outside of the style, they focused and mm. they did stuff and their atmosphere was really refreshing and there was a commitment to it that was different than the commitment from other bands. And in Moonlight Sorcery's case, um, those little twinges and then their commitment to doing like very clean, very symphonic, almost guitar work at times as an element to the kind of brutal but sad and forlorn quality to it is so it's so nice yeah. and different from what I'm used to hearing from bands like Cavain. I, I'd or, like or to like, see a Gone Mage's take on this debate. No, no, on this like style. Like I, I want, I want Gone Mage mm. to redo the album. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, uh, Gary Brent, the guy, the uh, individual um, behind Gone Mage, has a project. Stop called... calling him Gary. We like that's his name. I know it's his name, but just calling him Gone Mage sounds so much cooler. Yeah, but I'm talking about his other band. Ugh, fine. Like that's the problem. He also has a project called Homesick, I, I believe. And it, it 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 takes the black metal a lot more seriously. Or I mean like traditional very really? like wall of sound black metal a lot more directly. Called homesick, um, you said? Yeah, yeah. I'll send it I'll send it to you after uh All right. the out uh, yeah. Is a it's it's the daytime counterpart to the Gone Mage set in reality. Hmm. That's well, that's how he self describes it. Well, just to put an in cap on it, uh, if Midnight Sorcery was a part of the top fifteen, I would have put it at number four, um, which is yeah. ahead of Shadow of Intent, but before Zeal album. and Ardor. Ugh, I I dislike both of these. Yeah, I'm Nick, surprised Nick I, you Nick didn't and like a... Zeal and Ardor. It it just didn't do it for me. I was so I was like. Cause, well, because like, I, I didn't hear their other band, albums. Yeah. So if I a feel different like that... band had released that album, I, w- I probably would have liked it a lot more. Or at the very least, not disliked it. How many times did you listen to it? I think three. Oh, least, okay. I listened yeah, to that's... it when it... I gave it I gave it a very cursory, like, you know, background to listen when it first came out. And it, never, it didn't really capture my attention. And then I re-listened to it twice as part of the preparation for this media roundup because I knew Nick was going to put it on his list. And I was like, well, I got better listen to this now. And then gave it one last final listen, like the day or so before we recorded. I'm still waiting for an album like Wheel to come out. Um, last <laughs> last year, My number two from last year, Preserved in Time. I remember my number four, actually. Wow, that, that moved lower. It moved higher in my head. It'd probably be my number two from 2021. Um, I'm just waiting for a truly quality doom release from this year. So if you're listening out there and you, and you know of like an really epic, very powerful and moving, um, doom album that's come out this year, hit me up. I do have an album to shout out that I didn't get a chance to talk about, um, last week, Ben. Okay. Um, it is a album that will likely make, um, my top albums of the year. 
for next year and it is an album by the artist Jer. It's just J E R. Um and it's a it's a sad but jovial ska album. Um it's like a ska album about anxiety and mental illness. That sounds that sounds cool actually that sounds really yeah sorry i just got distracted because altark uh released a new i don't know if if four songs qualifies as an album but i'm gonna count Uh, it it depends it depends on how long those songs are uh albums about 40 minutes total oh that's totally a full album an EP isn't about the length of the number of songs. It's about the length of the album. All right. Well, or I'll, how well, pretentious you I'll are. I'll report on this next week. It's Altar. Really so. so now, so okay. Apparently, there was some copyright issue. Uh oh. Altark is now called Altark Three. What? <laughs> Swear, with a uh, Roadburn Redux Twenty Twenty One. With this album, Altark 3 aims to represent an alternative timeline of Altark's debut album, Form Emotion, in a different musical context. Their first performance was broadcast at Roadburn Redux Festival 2021. Hell yeah. So it's a live album. Interesting. That's fucking strange. This sounds, this sort of sounds like somebody got pissed off. Yeah, it For really does. For something informing. I'll report back on this next week, okay? okay. We have that to look forward to. Um, until uh, then... You also have to listen to the Ska album, okay. uh, which is called Bothered slash Unbothered, which is a great title for an album. Um, last last bit here. I What I've been thinking of doing is for our end-of-year roundup, just so we can get more bands included, Yeah, is that I would add in my top five albums of the year which is based first predicated on the mid-year roundup and then if there's anything i add or subtract from there just to uh give us a chance to look at more muzak yeah sure i'm 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 gonna make a a a real conscious effort with my top five this year or my top 10 this year to um include picks that might not necessarily be my top like amongst the top 10 albums i'm listening to the most but that represent different sounds because nick and kyle will only put metal on their lists okay just i liked i like diversity don't uh all right just keep the keep the vote strong keep the vote strong all right like i like i mean like it's gonna they're gonna be albums i love it's just a matter of them getting a little bit of an extra nod because they are so different from everything else, mm, which I at see. this point, in, which, which at this point in like my like pretentiousness as a music fan has gotten to the point where if you do something new enough and weird enough, like you, you can get a spot on my list because it's just so refreshing to hear music that doesn't sound like what I'm used to being forced to listen to all the time. Now that is pretentious ladies and gentlemen welcome to russo mania if you're still here i'm proud of you and if you are still here please use our passcode of the week which is bro 
Yes, welcome back to episode two of Russomania, where we are going to chronicle the misadventures of Vince Russo as an on-screen character from his first appearance in WCW through his last, which is about a six-month time period in 2000. People generally look at it as some of the worst pro wrestling to ever grace national television, but we, unlike most, are actually going to take the time to look at it week by week and see if that's actually the case. Matt, are you excited to talk our first episode of WCW's secondary show, Thunder, from April 12th, 2000? I, I'm just I'm just glad that Thunder has as many recaps as WWE SmackDown does now, and that makes me me feel excited because I'm I'm ready to I'm ready to unveil to our fans exactly. SmackDown what kind doesn't of a even have life. that many recaps anymore now that it's on Fox. The um, I, when was the last time you watched a full episode of SmackDown? The one I went to like three years ago. Exactly. I listen to people bitch about SmackDown on TV every week. And let me tell you, they have a running counter in the videos to time the amount of time that is spent on recaps and re-replated and re-replated oh, segments right. yeah. compared to match time. And the some, last like, are, quarter of the show is just ads, right? If Well, it, it, it depends. If you get the full SmackDown intro, like the whole extended intro... You're the percentage time spent on recaps or already recorded segments that were seen on Raw, like triples. That's compared when, awesome. when compared to actual in-ring match time. There is a segment of SmackDown where competitor A walked to the ring. There was a recap of their feud. I've seen there this, was a yes. there was a recap of a different feud. They cut to commercial. They come back to a promo from one of the wrestlers. Then they cut to the entrance of wrestler B. They cut to another commercial, come back to a video package about the next pay-per-view. Then the match starts and only lasts six minutes. That's wrestling. That's modern fucking SmackDown. This show is fucking amazing. I don't care what anyone says. If you currently consume WWE and you don't think that this is 10 times better, you need help. You need you need a content warning on your own mind. The uh the highs of WWE Buff Bagwell are, are better high. than Thunder. But Thunder as a whole, I find far more entertaining for good or for bad than modern day WWE or WWE from the last like 10 years Five. ever since raw went to three hours. Yeah. Ever since Cena left or no, ever since Brian got injured ever since, uh, yeah. Brian had to relinquish the world title. Cause that's everything, when suplex city ended. started was right after that. God, they're doing fucking Roman Brock again. The last time, I like really freaked out at a WWE show like for real. And I felt like a kid again at a WWE event was when Sting debuted. And I don't even fault them for how they treated Sting because amazingly enough, WWE booked Sting in their company as like a fast forward version of his WCW career as the crow. Oh, true. Which was, like, very strange that they did that. Self-aware. Um, 
But anyway, we've been bloviating for too long. Let's talk Thunder. Thunder, Thunder. at the time, was taped the day after Nitro. Not uh, the same on night. Tuesdays, not the same night. And we're going to be told that, Matt, I don't have a recap counter on here. There are, were a lot of recaps uh, yes. on, on this show. It's very uh, The recaps are very front-loaded, though, I will say. Yeah, moving forward, um, I'm going to have some extra notes from, you know, leading up to the show, notes from, like, The Observer. Um, but just as a brief overview, Thunder at the time was considered WCW's, like, B show, but really, like, the D show. Um, a lot of the main eventers did not show up on Thunder because they weren't contractually obligated to and they weren't going to get anything extra from it. Um, it was uh, definitely the redheaded stepchild. Pretty much from the moment it was made, Eric Bischoff fought tooth and nail when he was in charge of WCW to not get this show added. He what originally wanted it. Yeah, because he said it's going to kill us to have an extra two hours of TV because Nitro was three hours. Um, yeah, Bischoff, uh, originally wanted it to be an NWO themed show. So like one show would be WCW, the other would be NWO, but that was kaputskied when the NWO took over Nitro and then spent about half an hour destroying the set and putting up NWO logos, which took so long the ratings nosedived. So, because ultimately people wanted the NWO to be beaten. They just made WCW look like a bunch of geeks. But yeah, just a bunch of that bitches. was 1997, and this is April 12th, 2000. We open with the most forgettable Tinker Toy, like, intro. Well, actually, we have a Nitro recap. No. You know, I was going to say, no, we open an extensive Nitro recap with the past four months of storylines that happened two days ago. Well, and it all it all happened in that took over two minutes. Then we get then we get the two the two hosts of the show arriving and then we get another almost minute long intro sequence and then a complete redo of the segment from the week before from yeah, yeah from like the week this week yeah the the cold open after the intro is vince russo and eric bischoff arrive which was one of wcw's favorite things people arriving at the venue um and then uh we get the weirdest intro ever for thunder i went to a lot of thunders back as a kid i don't remember this this is the weirdest most forgettable intro to a wrestling show ever like I just watched this, even the, I don't remember. Even the, even the fireworks, I I just watched it twice, and the fireworks. I'm like, all I remember is how disappointing the fireworks are. I thought the fireworks were fine. I actually like the setup of Thunder, which is a big uh, screen, which was lovingly mm-hmm. called by some as the Turnertron. Um, <laughs> like I thought that looked better than Nitro, which is a tiny screen and sure. just like yeah. four pylons. Um, yeah, David Arquette is at ringside as we open. I'm sure that won't lead to anything. Uh, the Not show opens in the new blood led by Bischoff and Russo come to the ring. Bobby Heenan says, quote, I've never seen so many grown men cower in fear at the names Russo and Bischoff. 
Matt. Man. Bobby Heenan is known as being one of the greatest on the mic of all time. How would you characterize his performance on Thunder? Like there's a gun pressed to the back of his head. Yeah, it's... People have always said Bobby Heenan was checked out at the end. And he seems, he sounds afraid. And and watching a lot of the pay-per-views in like the late nineties, you really don't hear it. But once he was taken off pay-per-views and off Nitro, because apparently he was getting sauced while on the show. How do you not? Um, they demoted him to thunder and bro, it's brutal. I mean, I've never seen so much life sucked out of a person. Yeah. People complain about He's Jim Ross on AEW commentary. I mean, it's, Y'all it's haven't listened to Bobby Heenan yeah, on WCW Thunder. 2000 commentary. It's bad. It's... Like, Jim Ross, at least when he bitches, he doesn't bitch about anything too important. And he can still turn it on to make someone like Tanahashi or Okada seem like a world beater. That's what JR's for. Bobby he still, Heenan he still just has, like he still has the wanted fire. to die. You know, Dude, Bobby 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 Heenan l- sounds about as about as good as Ric Flair looks tonight. The saddest thing about Bobby Heenan is he deliberately never said a bad word about Vince, never, mm. because he respected Vince. Okay, want okay. to keep the doors open down the line. When WCW closed. They brought Bobby Heenan in for a guest spot at WrestleMania 17. And then they never used him again as oh, a commentator. Of they didn't. Which is like, it's such a Vince thing, you know, because all the people who were like, oh, fuck you, Vince, fuck you guys, he brought them back. Were the people who stayed loyal? Nah, there's no fun to be had bringing you back. Anyway. Yeah, fuck you, people. Eric Bischoff opens. He asks, was it a night last night or what? He says about the show that aired two days beforehand. It was last night. Billy Kidman states that he's beaten Hulk Hogan three times now. Their first interaction was last night on Nitro. They did not have a single match. He got one visual pinfall on Hulk Hogan, which has now been parlayed into beating Hulk Hogan three times. Oh, of course. I, I don't... Like, and, and the thing about it is it's not even played up for laughs. Like that no, five-foot-tall Billy Kidman beat up Hulk Hogan. Like, Billy Kidman says serious. it like, yeah, I pinned Hulk Hogan in a wrestling match. Three times. Uh, Vince Russo calls himself the Batman. Man, David Arquette really looks like he's trying to have a good time in the crowd when they cut him, too. He's, he's acting his ass off. Uh, Shane Douglas says that he wants to retire Flair's, quote, raggedy millionaire ass, which I'm sure uh, is going to ingratiate Flair to you. Great line. Um, the, best, the best part about this whole segment, though, has been is that about midway through, you see a guy hold up a sign that says, Vampiro is a juggalo. And he's standing next to a guy in full Juggalo paint who's holding up a sign that says down with a clown. Well, Vampiro and was a Juggalo. He was he was partnered with ICP around this time. Oh, shit, really? I thought that sign was yeah. ironic. Yeah, no, no. It was Vampiro, ICP, and the Great Muda were oh, in a, a stable together called the Dark Carnival. 
Oh, I'm so in. I want to watch it. Was dark, not, I want to do a dark before you say anything. It was not nearly as good as it should have been. Oh no, but we're doing a full breakdown. I, I mean, like it sounds like the most fun ever. into the dark carnival. Um, I Kimberly. will say, I will say with this with this segment, it is a great reminder that the one and true great part of Thunder is DDP. So DDP we get is we, a goddamn champion. We're gonna get to DDP. Uh, Eric Ooh. Bischoff books DDP's wife and valet Kimberly against Medusa. Whereas Kimberly's not a trained wrestler. Bischoff says, "You've seen her in Playboy, at least I have." Which, like, like is that supposed to be meant as an insult? I don't. Yeah, I'm not sure. Like, that, it's the weirdest thing, because they bring up Kimberly being in Playboy a lot, and about half the time they're like, she was in Playboy. And the oh, other oh, half oh. of the time is like, whoa, she was in Playboy? And, and yeah, they can and never seem to figure it out, like, well, which like end this, they want it to be on. They, it's like they, they really want to, like, call her a slut and a whore on live TV, but they don't commit. Well, because, like, DDP gets interviewed then. Because, like, they did this with him and Savage, where Savage was was waving around the magazine everywhere and taunting DDP. And the next week, DDP's like, yeah, my wife's really hot, and she was offered yep. a bunch of money to do Playboy. Like, yeah, y'all see what I got. Isn't that, like, isn't that super cool? Yeah, isn't that great? And so it's like, well, uh, okay. Because what can you do? Um, DDP then interrupts uh, with a shirt that just says whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, what to which make is of that. awesome. Um, he uh, he. Uh, someone calls Kimberly's outfit tonight a stripper outfit. Ah, what is? Yeah. Uh, then Bam Bam Bigelow attacks DDP from behind. Uh, a gang attack starts, but the millionaires show up and security oh. join before we brawl to break. That was all in the but opening segment. Don't, uh, don't Bischoff... forget, Penn, that dur- during this opening brawl, at one point, uh, Sting stiff, and I mean stiff, karate chops Scott Steiner right in the neck. And then he stands there like he's confused and then slowly walks away to attack yes. Sid. I it forgot. is the funniest yes. goddamn thing I've ever watched. That and Vampiro spreading his legs, doing a half squat, looking, staying in the face, going, ah, and then getting punched right in the dick. Yeah, it's, uh, they weren't putting their all into these brawls. It's the, it's the little details that count. The opening segment, I didn't mind. I thought it was a fine way to set up the show. They try to say that DDP wasn't booked, but Kimberly would be, sets up some intrigue. I didn't mind it. Yeah, it's not bad. I think it's like um, like a three out of five segment, which is as good as it could be with as much recap as there is. Yep. I, I the, the thing that would have improved this segment would have been making it a little fresher, given that we had done almost the exact same promo two days ago. Yeah, but it's also a lot of information to get out to, and it's still sure. thunder. So, like, I... Yeah, we I don't are, mind we, we are them. five weeks into like a seven month uh uh like program in two days. <laughs> yes. There's a lot to go over. And speaking of that, we come back from the break. 
the the following is gone over by commentary. Uh, none of this has been told to us previously. At the pay-per-view, there will be a Suicide Six match for the yes. Cruiserweight title that's vacant. We don't Which know they never what get that the name means. Of right we're, on air. We're, we're, we're not explained what that is. Uh, the Mamelukes, Harlem Heat, Buff Bagwell in the franchise, which is random, and Team Package, Lex Luger and Ric Flair, will wrestle in a mini tournament at the pay-per-view for the tag titles. And there will also be a tournament for the U.S. title at the pay-per-view, and they do not introduce the participants. Not at and all. And they just throw all of that out offhandedly by commentary in the 30 seconds before our first well, match. And Tony, I believe it's Tony Schiavone sitting here in the middle, right? Yes. Yeah, which which you can really tell in informed Excalibur's commentary style, where he talks at 6 million miles a minute while clearly reading something that he's read twice. So we open 18 minutes into the show uh, with commercial breaks removed. Our first match is a six-man tag. And Matt, I don't know if I've ever written more for a single match in my life than this six-man tag. Let's fucking go. Chris Candido teams with the artist formerly known as Prince Iakea, who teams with a returning Juventud Guerrero, which I think would probably be due to drugs. And the three of them... Uh, oh, the artist is with uh, Paisley, which later becomes Booker T's wife, Charmel. Okay. And they met in WCW. And they face the team of Crowbar, the Shannon Moore of Three Count, and the Ragin' Cajun Lash LaRue. This is a six-man tag match. All six of these men will be in the Suicide Six Cruiserweight title match at the pay-per-view and we're just going to get all their build through in one match. Yeah, just this is this is forbidden door levels of setup. Uh, <laughs> these are the notes I put. Okay. Um, right, the ready. match starts and Hooventude and Chris Candido, who are on the same team, begin fighting each other. Confetti Perfect. falls into the ring uh, and someone throws a beach ball into the ring as well. David yep. Flair, who accompanied Crowbar to the ring alongside Daphne, catches Charmel as she's knocked off the apron, and he tries to woo her by dancing, but that pisses off his on-screen girlfriend, Daphne. This match is going on, and I'm thinking about it. I'm like, out of all of these people, the only wrestler that anyone today really remembers is Hooventude. Because he was there before, like, WCW turned into this, and people remember that. Like, there were millions of people watching this, and I guarantee you not a single person on this planet, except for us, remembers the artist formerly known as Prince Iakea with Paisley. And I and I barely remember him. The only person from this that I truly remember in any meaningful way is Crowbar. Because he is the only person who's actually wrestling a good match. Yeah, it this reminds dude me. Takes t- the two bumps he takes by himself without anyone touching him are more engaging than about three quarters of the bumps in this entire match. It reminds me of how WWE's undercard is today. Like, no one's going to remember Ridge Holland for the gimmick he has now. Yeah. No one's going to remember Butch, you know? Yeah. But whatever. At this point, the crowd is completely entertaining themselves. 
Uh, Crowbar bumps himself because he's weird. He then hits the greatest Northern Lights suplex ever. Right. Which is so good that even Bobby Heenan, like, is like, oh my god, that was awesome. Did you guys see that? Like, he got Bobby Heenan, like, on out-of-life support. Yeah, he woke Bobby Heenan up for the first time that night. Crowbar, for some reason, starts fighting his own manager, David Flair, at ringside. Well, because he's Crowbar. Crow- no, Crowbar is the only one who can't do wrong. Crowbar is the in-the-mouth-of-madness of WCW. <laughs> sure. I'll His give you that. His character and gimmick, let him be perfect. Chris Candido does a dive to the outside. There's more miscommunication. Wait, no, Cr- Crowbar's now- dive to the outside is also fucking metal, where he flips himself over the top rope and lands butt-first directly on top of the people. Super safe. But beautifully executed. Yeah, Crowbar's great here. Uh, Chris Candido then dives. There's more miscommunication. And then he starts brawling with the artist. Uh, We get more dives. Lash LaRue, I timed, like, you know, how long it takes for each person in the match for them to mention their name. Because they don't introduce half the field. Oh, yeah, they just let them in. Lash LaRue does not get name dropped until five minutes into this match. (laughs) All of this has happened within the first five minutes, by the way. Yeah, this is a quick match. This is this is like there's lots of jumping and dives, but it really means nothing. The crowd's not paying attention. They I think Tony Schiavone says, oh, yeah, here at WCW, we've turned up the intensity. Whenever someone says intensity in wrestling, it means, oh, my God, this sucks. Daphne had one of the best moments of the entire match. Yeah, well, we're we're almost there. I noticed at this point that there are four people at just at ringside for this match, <laughs> yep. like four managers. It's at this point where Shannon Moore turns on Crowbar for no reason. Then Daphne does a Hurricane Rana, which was pretty baller, especially yeah. for someone who was not a trained wrestler. It's perfect. Yeah, uh, and and it's followed up with the biggest moment killing line i have ever heard in the history of commentary quote that was a thunder moment yeah oh yeah really huge hoovy driver from hooventude uh he the... looks so proud of himself afterwards too yeah i mean hoovy's good hoovy like if hoovy could have been a real stalwart he could have had a run like lapark is having if he just yeah. stayed clean well Chris Candido, I feel like, is really the glue holding this match together. Crowbar stands out the most, but Candido's the guy we're, like, making sure everything stays on the rails. Yeah, he's keeping the match He just doesn't stand out as a character at all, which is really a shame. I I, I also wonder, should Crowbar even be a cruiserweight? Not at all. Dude looks like he's six foot. He looks huge, especially yeah. compared to the smaller, like compared to I like mean, a Hooven too. I mean, back then the weight limit was two twenty five, but even then, like he's he's big guy, uh, thick boy. Chris Candido and the artist uh, argue over who should get the pin in the match. Then the artist attacks Chris Candido for no reason, so that Crowbar can pin Chris Candido, so that who so that the artist can lose. As it should be. So, uh, Crowbar gets the win. All of that happened in eight minutes. Woo! Hey, at least it wasn't boring. 
I, like, I mean, like, like I just read all show. that off and I have no fucking idea what happened. No, it was like it, it was like a dark trios match. Like like nothing really does happen. It just but like everything happens. Happens, yeah. There's just a bunch of spots that they had planned. Like they had the the repeated dives to the outside of the ring planned, and then and then the finish. And that when was people it. bitch about spot fests and they mm-hmm. likened the young bucks to spot fests. No, no, no. This is a spot fest. Like yeah, the young the young bucks are are like synchronized like choreography. When wrestlers talk about how fans don't know anything and they should shut up, it's times like that where I'm like, yeah, I kind of agree with them. Because, like, this is a spot fest. Like, no one's reacting. No one's popping. Like, my There's God. There's no setup. It's literally just spot after spot. Where like Right. There's uh, no uh, like purpose for any of it. Like, the yeah. Young Bucks do a bunch of super kicks. But it's because super kicks are easy to do. They look good, and the crowd pops for them. So, like, why yeah. not? And they and they and they're. It's a great. It's easy to counter. It has great narrative play. Like, it's just overall a great choice. And so are flips. And stuff. it's like it's a way to get noticed. And it's a way to do things. And I mean, I, I'm ready to talk about what tag team wrestling sh- should look like when we get to the next match. Well, we 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 have a we have a bit to get there. Backstage, DDP tells Mean Gene he'll beat up. Jeff Jarrett and Bam Bam Bigelow tonight. Then also backstage, we have Eric Bischoff with the new Harlem Heat, which is Big T, Ahmed Johnson, uh, Jay Biggs, and Cash. Good old Cash, as well as Stevie Ray, of course. Eric Bischoff wants them to take Sid out tonight. We have a... uh, we have some ready to rumble hype featuring Sting. Only good part. And well, he then, doesn't even he the, his his <laughs> Sting about the movie sounds like such an insult. Yeah, right. He's not excited for the film at all. No, no. He thinks it's bad. He thinks He's, it's stupid, yeah. low common denominator material, and we all know that's not the case. <laughs> uh, also backstage, Sean Stasiak is in the back, uh, trying to ape Mister Perfect's kurt hennig's gimmick still he's attacked by hennig backstage he falls all over his powder because he's in like the makeup room um and i noticed one of the security guys has a massive bald spot yeah yeah you heard that i hope you're listening to this you damn baldy so next up we have sid taking on the entirety of the new harlem heat in a three-on-one handicap match let me tell you matt sid has a much different demeanor when he's about to win a match, doesn't he? Oh uh, yeah, he actually cares. Like, but like he but, he is like juiced to be there. Yeah, he might he he might have been as enthusiastic as a dead cat, but the new Harlem Heat can't wrestle. They fail to hit three tag team moves. Ba- they they messed they back messed up back, a giant drop. Yeah. They messed they messed up a team boot and then they messed up a dual pile driver. I don't know how you could be that bad at, at tag team wrestling. We Ahmed, would be better tag team wrestlers. Ahmed Johnson misses hitting Sid with a clothesline. He doesn't even raise his arm all the way. He just kind of like flares his elbow a little bit. It's so sad. I, I mean unconscionable. Um 
Yeah, I, I wrote a note. How is he worse than Stevie Ray? Uh, middle of the match, Booker T comes out. Now, apparently, he's beating up New Blood guys, what? even though they say he's a part of the New Blood because he's feuding with Harlem Heat. Uh, he takes out Harlem Heat without causing a DQ, in spite of being in full view. Yep. No, oh, yeah. And then it cuts to Bischoff and them in the background being like, whoa, that shouldn't have happened. Uh, Sid gets the win in about three minutes, is immediately attacked by the wall, and not a single person in the arena that night reacts to it at all. I don't think anyone knows it's the wall. It, it, it's like the wall wasn't even there. It's like Sid just fell over and people are like, that's weird. It's like, uh, it's like a random jobber comes out and hits him with a chair. And it's a white chair, too, which then, just looks awful. Then Bischoff comes out after the fact, and he disqualifies Sid because Booker T interfered. But then Tony Schiavone on commentary says it was no disqualification, which they did not tell previously. Nope. That was never mentioned. No. Uh, backstage, Jimmy Hart's looking for Eric Bischoff. Uh, and then Bischoff is verbally castrating Booker T backstage. Uh, we follow this up with the epic singles match of Shane Douglas versus Lex Luger. Oh my lord. This Lex match. Luger looks like he's dying. No, he, he looks... How old is he at this time of filming? Uh, Luger, he's 40, I think. He looks, he looks like 65. He really does. Yeah, ref down, kick punch, low blow by Shane Douglas... Ric Flair runs in, chop, 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 low blow. Lex hits the torture rack. Ref calls yeah. it in the ring, even though Flair's in there. Um, Shane Douglas came back two days beforehand, and he already lost a match for no reason to Lex Luger. What the this, fuck? The match this was ends. So needed. The match ends on a taped show, and as soon as the bell hits, it cuts to Jimmy Hart talking to Bischoff backstage, who blows him off. Then backstage, God. Oh, my God. Man, I have so many notes. <laughs> uh, backstage, Russo is irate because Ric Flair interfered. He wants the commentary team to tell Luger he can't interfere in in the upcoming match or he'll be suspended. They... Then recap Hulk Hogan being hit by the Hummer on Nitro two days ago. For some reason, they show an interior shot that is of such a the limo shot. being hit, which looks really lame. And also, why is there a camera in the limo? Uh, why is the, there no one in the limo? Yeah, they say Hogan is hospitalized, so he won't be at the pay-per-view. My only thing I liked about this is that Bobby Heenan... After all of this time, all of these years, still viscerally hates Hulk Hogan. Yeah, clearly. The the like, one thing, like in character too. It's the one thing Bobby Heenan always did is he always hated Hulk Hogan. And when Hogan turned on everyone and started the NWO, Heenan was like, yeah, I fucking told you guys all along. No one was listening, which is... Best Amazing. long-term storytelling story ever. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy Hart comes to the ring uh, to talk about Hulk Hogan being attacked and to call out Eric Bischoff. 
Billy Kidman interrupts with Bischoff, attacks Jimmy Hart, and then spray paints him with the NB for new blood. I will say that is an actual like brutal looking spot. Well, like, that I, actually looks good. Yeah, I, I, I'm sort of underselling this. Jimmy Hart actually gave a pretty good promo talking about how the attack on Hulk Hogan was unprecedented and and stuff and asking Bischoff why after all these years of partnership he'd turn on Hogan. This is all being used to facilitate a Billy Kidman run, which, like, it's really trying to make fetch a thing. Um, also, God, we're back backstage. Yeah. Kimberly no, and DDP are talking. DDP doesn't want her to wrestle tonight, but she's like, hey, you got to be positive, which is funny because DDP is the positive guy. It's like, ha. He does yoga. Yeah. Uh, oh, my God. Yeah. We're almost Matt, at the best part of the Matt, show. The, if anything would break a man, Matt, it's the Colorado collision match. <laughs> this show no, taking I'm not, place in Colorado. I, I am fucking done. I am not talking about the goddamn wall. This goes on. <laughs> For almost 15, this is long, this is some of the worst bullshit I've ever seen, followed by a guy dancing, getting on the microphone, Matt, doing a dance, is... and then getting beat up by Scott. It's, fuck this match, I'm out. Ma- I'm no, done, you're Matt, doing this alone. It's five I'm minutes. You. It's a five minute battle royal debut gimmick match. Fuck this, it takes an hour in my mind. I... The wall, brother. The wall? Oh my god, he's gone. Oh no. Um Okay, well well you guys are gonna listen to the Colorado collision match. The uh Alright. The Colorado collision match is a rumble, like a Royal Rumble, a, a gauntlet battle royal, with pinfalls. That should be pretty easy. It's not. Uh the wall is First out, he has a very underrated butt rock. Hell yeah. Um, And he opens up wrestling Booker T. So the winner of this gets... What? I'll be honest. I don't think they win anything. Um, I don't... I'm looking through this. I'm pretty sure they don't... Pretty sure they don't win anything. I think this is just a match to have a match. Uh, Ernest the Cat Miller is the third one out. He comes out 10 seconds early. Uh, the wall, about 60 seconds into the match, is already gassed. Holy shit. Uh, Booker T goes through a table that the wall set up. Uh, the wall just collapses at ringside. And as they're both at ringside, they both end up getting counted out. So while that happens, the cat cuts a promo about how he's a bad man, not a bad wrestler, but a bad man. Um, and he starts dancing. Uh, so Scott Steiner comes out next. Unlike Ernest Miller, Steiner waits forever to come out. While Ernest Miller is dancing, Steiner enters the ring uh, and smacks the shit out of him. Then the Ernest Miller hits 
The one bright spot of this match, Ernest Miller hits one of the greatest looking super kicks I've ever seen. Comes completely out of nowhere. And Scott Steiner actually sells Ernest Miller's offense. Like, what the hell is that? Uh, Kidman is out number five. Tori comes out dressed like a... No comment. Uh, Billy Kidman steals the pin from Scott Steiner on Ernest Miller after he's killed him. So Steiner press slams him. The last entrant is Vampiro. Uh, Kidman is jobbed out in maybe a minute and it's clean. The dude who just pinned Hulk Hogan. Uh, Sting interferes, gives Vampiro the scorpion death drop from behind right as he gets in the ring. Steiner puts him in the Steiner recliner immediately and wins. This is a debut gimmick match. That goes five minutes. Scott Steiner didn't even break his sweat, and they didn't even play his music after he won. They cut away so quickly. Why did this happen? Someone, tell me why. Kimberly backstage is in her wrestling outfit, which is supposed to be some real revealing outfit uh it's pretty much the same type of clothing she always wears also backstage my god rick flair is with lex luger and elizabeth team package they're backstage if any of them interfere tonight they're suspended without pay for six months which is something they literally could not legally do in real life with the way wcw's contracts were uh structured Ric Flair says he doesn't care, and he says that he's Mickey Mantle. Great. Uh, Kimberly comes out, and... God, I wish Matt was here for this. Kimberly Page comes out. She shakes her butt in time with purple fart pyro. I don't know if they think that, like, if it's supposed to be a butt thing... Or if she ad-libbed that. But it looks like she's farting purple smoke behind her. It's awesome. Uh, She's facing Medusa. Medusa comes out and looks like she wants to kill herself. For some reason, she's not wearing shoes. I don't know why. That's not a Medusa thing. Uh, Medusa's fighting Kimberly. Like it's ultimate submission. uh, Or ultimate surrender. Mm, I think it's that one. After about an hour of build, uh, DDP just interferes randomly in the match to stop Medusa from hitting Kimberly. Medusa pisses him off, so he hits her with a diamond cutter, which is a real dickbag move from DDP, all things considered, considering she wanted to defend herself. Not exactly a supporting husband. The crowd seems there for it, but this does not really age well, depending on the follow-up. If this is set up for like a heel turn or some sort of turn, great job. Because it is pretty subtle. But um, yeah, we got to wait to see how that pays off. Oh my god, it keeps going. Okay, this is a hardcore tag match. Brian Nobbs and Finley face Ming and Hugh Morris facing Terry Funk and the Big Wiggle, Norman Smiley. The winners... The two winners from this triple threat tag match will face each other at the pay-per-view for the hardcore title. Even though they don't let them breathe, I actually think that this is a cute concept. Tony Schiavone is trying so hard to sell his pay-per-view and commentary. Quote, what's going to happen next? 
We don't know. I know you don't, Tony. Uh, we don't get to see these random teams together before the match starts. It's a hardcore match, so it's all over the place. Uh, Norman really carries this match by his screaming. And uh, Terry Funk is Terry Funk, so he's always great. I don't know if we've ever seen Dave Finley and Terry Funk wrestle each other outside of these multi-man hardcore matches, which makes me very sad. Um, Hugh Morris tries to dive into Norman Smiley through a table. He would have missed either way, but he eats shit through a corner of the table and it looks like it hurts bad, like really bad. Uh, Ming and Brian Knobs brawl into the concession stands, a la the Tupelo concession stand brawl, which is the first quote unquote hardcore brawl in pro wrestling history. Um, Ming, there's a random Goldberg cutout in the concession stands. Ming runs to it and spears it. He then takes knobs and throws him off the side of the arena, allegedly murdering him. We do not see him for the rest of the show. Lots of screaming, random stuff. Pile driver on the broken table. Dustin Rhodes then interferes to attack Terry Funk. And Norman Smiley wins by pinning his partner, Terry Funk, in seven minutes. I don't know why. I guess it wasn't in the rules that you couldn't. Backstage, Bischoff is racist to the Vianos, and they want the three of them to beat up... uh, Sting in a three-on-one handicap match. Uh, Sting comes out. For some reason, his video wall shows video of him doing push-ups in a bathroom. Don't know why. Uh, If Sting loses to the Vianos, he is going to be replaced in the United States title tournament at the pay-per-view, which apparently he's in. Which begs the question... If the Vianos beat him, are all three of them in the tournament? How's that work? Uh, We get a double Scorpion death drop, and he pins two of them. Apparently, this is an elimination match. They didn't tell us. The ref ends up getting knocked out somehow. Jeff Jarrett reveals himself as one of the Vianos and hits Sting with a guitar. DDP interferes, though, and hits Jarrett with a diamond cutter. Sting pins Jarrett in three minutes. All that happened in three minutes. The The crowd has no hope in this world. Uh, and Jeff Jarrett, the guy who's gunning for the world title, gets pinned in a match to determine people in the U.S. title tournament. Uh, DDP's now wrestling tonight because Jarrett's pissed off backstage. And uh, now it's time to have Buff Bagwell face Ric Flair. Uh, Buff Bagwell comes out with his Spooter Pyro, which is amazing. Ric Flair still comes out in his Tuesday casuals and his dandruff, which is kind of gross. Just punching and kicking. Flair low blows right in front of the ref. Russo shows up and for some reason he's dressed like Sting and he attacks Flair at ringside. They show David Arquette and even David Arquette's like, what the fuck's happening? Which is pretty bad. Uh, Luger comes out and cleans house, but Shane Douglas 
uh, comes out with the bat and they lose the advantage. Uh, this ends in a DQ in four minutes. That's all I can tell you. Uh, and then they're like, oh, hey, these guys are in the tag tournament. And we finally make it to the main event. Diamond Dallas Page versus Bam Bam Bigelow. Kimberly comes out with DDP. Kimberly's not happy. Um, they hype that DDP is a back injury, but he's not wearing his chest tape for once in his life. So, like, I forgot. Uh, I'm wondering why Bam Bam Bigelow is wearing a shirt when he is wearing a singlet underneath it. Just questions it 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 takes tony shivani half the match to explain what happened to just ddp to get him in this situation tonight not nitro nothing just this two-hour thunder uh bam bam dominates they have a really creative pancake power bomb reverse on this match referee gets knocked down the crowd's completely checked out bam bam misses his headbutt DDP hits him with a diamond cutter. Bischoff comes out pretending to be the referee. Counts to two and then doesn't count to three. Why did he even bother coming out? Uh, Jeff Jarrett comes out with another guitar. Hits DDP with the guitar. DDP's down. David Arquette jumps the railing. Attacks Eric Bischoff and he's thrown out. Jarrett hits the stroke on David Arquette. Then DDP's friend Canyon comes out to attack Jarrett. There's so many people coming into the ring at this point that like the bodies in the middle of the ring are just getting in the way. The referees, David Arquette, everyone here. Bischoff then turns Canyon around and hits him with a chair. Tony screams, they're not done. As the new blood storm the ring and the show is done. They're not done. As, as it finishes, there is no end result to the match. The match, for all intents and purposes, is still going to this day. So, you tell me, what did we learn today? I do not think Thunder was a good show, but I would lie if I say it wasn't entertained. Does that make Thunder a success? I don't know. But, I wrote a lot on it. And it drove Matt away, but it didn't drive me away. I don't know. What I do know is that we have like half a card set up and too many tournaments set for our next show this Sunday, April 2000. It's WCW's Spring Stampede. And you'll find out what happens there when the fourth times the charm. Good night and good morning. Good morning.